you the final play. Take me through it. Well, I'm the best corner in the game. When you try me with a sorry receiver like Crabtree, that's the result you're going to get. Don't you ever talk about me. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Master Sorry guys, I'm just about Hello, welcome to another episode of the Master Plan Podcast. And today we're covering the first round and we're previewing the second round of the NHL playoffs. Um, we have a lot to get to, folks. We have like nine pages of stuff to get to today. I'm not going to hold off any longer. We're going to get right down into it. It's a game-by-game review of each series, uh, except for the Toronto Maple Leafs versus the Montreal Canadiens, or Canadians, because um, that series hasn't finished up yet, but the Bruins play the Islanders tonight, so we kind of have to get this out before that happens. So that way my predictions don't look, look fudged. Hmm? Sound good? All right. Sounds good to me. Here we go. Let's jump right into it with the first series. We're starting off with the East. <clears throat> and let's start off with the Pittsburgh Penguins versus the New York Islanders. And this was actually a really solid series. I don't know if you guys well, – I watched quite a bit of this series. Um, I'm a decent I'm, – I'm, I'm a Penguins fan. Um, sad to see them lose. But this was a, there were a lot of good games in this series. There were really a lot of competitive games. Both teams really came to play. Game one was an overtime thriller. Let's not mince words. Game one was an overtime thriller. The Penguins had 42 shots on goal. The Islanders had 41. Two third-period Islanders goals brings it to a, to, to a lead for the Islanders, followed by a Kasperi Kapanen tying goal that sent the game to overtime, while Paul, where Palmieri scored the game winner. It was a really, really competitive game. I mean, like like game one, like when you have a team scoring shooting 42 and the other team scoring 41 going into overtime, it's a really, really competitive game. Back and forth scoring, that's a lot of what we saw. A lot of quick-firing scoring opportunities in this series happened a lot. The goaltending wasn't incredible uh, for, for certain stretches of this, of this series. Game two was just as competitive as game one. But, like, this was one of those games where both goaltenders ended up playing better. Jeff Carter, like, this goal by Jeff Carter, by the way, folks, go check it out. It was, it was one of the best of the first round so far. Easily one of the best of the first round so far. Um, and it was a beauty. And that put the Penguins up by two. And that was it. That was all she wrote. Josh Bailey was able to put a backhanded shot by Jari, but it wasn't enough. Varlamov and Jari both played really, really well. Jari, you know, was aided by Penguin. the Penguins having seven more shots than the Islanders with 45 compared to the Islanders having only 38. But both of them played really, really well. And in game one, Jari started for the Penguins as did he in game two, but uh, Sorokin started for the, for the Islanders. So the big question for the Islanders in this series was who is our starting goaltender? 
right? So in game one, they went with Sorokin. In game two, they went with Varlamov. They ended up losing, but I would argue Varlamov actually ended up playing a better game than Sorokin did. He just didn't wasn't aided by that same level of, of goal-scoring support. Game three was an exciting game. Cal Clutterbuck and Jeff Carter each scored a pair of goals for, for the Islanders and for the Penguins, right? Latang opened up the scoring, like he he started the scoring. And 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 you know, that was on a shot that really Varlamov should have had. That was one that he's gonna want back. And that's kind of something that would be a, a, a pattern for today. Like both these goaltenders, like game two was a much better goaltending, like a much better goaltending performance for both sides. Game three was back to game one. Mayfield, then Carter, then and then Zucker in the second scored. In the third, it was Clutterbuck, then Beauvillier, then Carter on a power play. Beauvillier also scored on a power play. Then Clutterbuck again. And in, in the late third period, Tanev put the goal, the go-ahead goal past Varlamov and gave the Penguins a 5-4 win. Right? The Islanders scored four times on 30 shots. And the Penguins scored five times on just 27 shots on Varlamov, which this would be his final game of the series. Five times on 27 shots. That means he saved. Um, that means he ju- he saved just over one out of every five shots. Right? That's not very good. Like that. That's like a little bit over an 80 percent save percentage, which. In the playoffs is not good, but again that would change. Like we're looking at both these teams here, and right now the goaltending across two of the three games has not been very very strong. Game four was a one sided one sided Islanders win, victory four one. Right, the t- on just twenty six shots, Islanders scored four times. So once again, we're seeing this pattern of goaltenders allowing a lot of goals on a relatively small number of shots. Like when we get to other games in the series, like they're much closer and and the goaltenders end up stopping a lot more shots, right? The Penguins scored once on just 30 shots. So it was a much, it was a good game for Sorokin, much better than game one. You know, the main difference in this game really was the power play for the Islanders. The Islanders had five power play opportunities and they converted two of them. That's a big part of these games, right? How many power plays are you giving up? And in turn, how many are they scoring on? The Penguins only had one attempt on the power play and did not convert it. Um, and, 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 you know, that was that was tough. And that's kind of what allowed, allowed the Islanders to take game, game four and tie the series up two to two. Game five was by far and away the game of the series. Like when we talk about the game of each series, game five was it. Tied 2-2. This is the breakneck. This is the match. Really, really the the game that's going to determine the winner of the series. You go up 3-2, very strong chance of winning the series in that next sixth game. Both teams played really, really hard. And in Pittsburgh, they came out firing, right? They had 50 shots during the game. 50, right? The Islanders only had 28 shots. But they were able to get all the way to double overtime. Pittsburgh had a lot of chances, right? They shot a lot of pucks on neck, on net, excuse me. But Sorokin 
unlike Varlamov, was a wall. Sorokin had another better game, right? He had a much a game. He put two good games together. Game four and game five were much better for him. And after Rust had a bomb midway through the second period, that was all. That was all the goals he let up. In second overtime, in double overtime, right? And this is actually going to be somewhat of a trend that we see in the playoffs this year. But goaltenders are misplaying pucks late in overtime. Like as the games go on, as the time wears on these players, it has a definite effect on the goaltender's play. And and that's pretty clear, I think. Like I think that goes without saying that, you know, the way the goaltenders play as the night goes on, as as their fatigue sets in, definitely has an effect to their to their to their play. Um, and 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 that's kind of what allowed, you know, Josh Bailey to just put it right in the back of the net. Sorokin easily won this game for the Islanders um, with a nine sixty save percentage. Nine sixty. That's incredible. Game six was a scoring bonanza with four first period goals in the first 12 and a half minutes. Carter, Beauvillier, then Getzel, then Palmieri all scored. And then, however, after Zucker put a goal, which put the Penguins up three to two, the Islanders scored three times in just about three minutes. Sorokin, as in game five, once again became a wall. In the third period, ended up saving 37 shots in the game and sealing the victory for the Islanders. Right? So the story of this series was really Tristan Jari, right? Not being able to match the talents of Ilya Sorokin, right? He Tristan Jari was beat over the over the glove side far too often during the duration of this series. And Malkin and Crosby were good, but they weren't playing up to the level that their 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 competitors were. You know, Beauvillier, Cal Clutterbuck, Josh Bailey, Peugeot, um, Barzal, these guys were playing at a higher level than they did during the regular season. And that definitely had an effect that we were able to see. And 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 when we look at this series, this was a series of who had the better goaltender, like we see with almost every single playoff series. And while Ilya Sorokin had some off moments. In the third period of when it was important, he absolutely shut down the goal, right? And that is absolutely crucial when we're talking about the series going forward and when we look at the next series when the Islanders play. Let's look at their opponents, the winners of the Capitals versus Bruins series. And folks, this was a great series for the Bruins, an absolutely great series. Game one, starting goaltender Vanacek gets injured and Anderson comes in and he, he played a great game. On 22 shots, he had 21 saves, which is more than one can ask for of a backup goaltender that hasn't really played a lot of a lot of games this season coming in cold to the game. Capitals ended up taking game one in overtime on an unlucky shot uh, that was deflected from Nick Dowd from TJ Oshie. Game two was sensational, though. Teams traded goals in their first period, then Hathaway scored the second goal of the game off of uh, like an aggressive but way too aggressive play by Miller in the neutral zone, right? And that allowed, right, the Capitals to get around and and take a 3-2 lead. Late in the third period, Hall put, like, I don't even know how it went in. There was a pile of Bruin players. There's a pile of Capitals players. And Hall ended up putting it into the front of the net. 
Once it got to overtime, Marshawn said, I have enough. Just 39 seconds into overtime, the Bruins were able to keep the puck in the offensive zone, and Marshawn put it home right past, I believe this game it was Anderson. Um, and and that was that was the game. He won it. Um, you know, the Bruins really had a, a nice comeback in this game, scoring two, you know, both of the final two goals, um, which really allowed them to win the series. Game three was the game of the series, right? Ovechkin opened up the scoring. Then Hall, just a minute later, put an absolute beauty. And this was like one of the most beautiful goals. He just flicks it right over the right over the glove of Samsonov as he he reaches, he overcommits. Hall notices that, puts it over the glove. And then Nick Dowd once again scored another goal to put the Capitals up three to two. Halfway through the third period on a power play, Marshawn, and he showed incredible skill throughout the series when it counted, batted one out of the air, scoring his second goal of the series and a huge tying goal for the Bruins. In double overtime, so we went through overtime, no one scored. In double overtime, once again, we see an, a goaltender misplay the puck, right, in the behind the net. Nick Ritchie, on the point, on the ball, right, gets there, wraps it around, puts it in the back of the net for a game winner. The second game winner in a row for the Bruins and a 3-2 win, right? The momentum has shifted, right? We're in Boston for game four, right? We won game three, we won game two. Game four was that second transition, domination by the Bruins throughout the game. Out shooting the Capitals by 17 shots, 30 to 37 to 20. Winning 4-1 to one with Marshawn, Pasternak, Coyle, and Grizzlick all scoring. The power play in this game was excellent. Holding the Capitals to one, just one goal on seven opportunities, right? The, and that was a big story coming into the series. How much would the Bruins be penalized this series, right? They were penalized a good amount, but their power play in this game and really throughout the entire series was really, really solid. Holding them to one goal on seven opportunities is a win in my book any day of the week. And 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 game four, it was just domination. The Bruins were getting to pucks faster. They were out shooting. They were more creative, right? They really wanted to win this game. And once the Bruins won game four, there was really no doubt that they were going to come back to Washington and put it away. Game five. However, and game five, honestly, was not a good game by the Bruins. They were outshot 41 to 19 over the course of the game. However, the Bruins, out of those 19 shots, made them count, right? They scored three times on those 19 shots. And if you think three on 19 is bad, there's going to be some wild games where they're scoring four goals and like 14 shots. It's insane. The Bruins made those 19 shots count, including the goal of the playoffs that I've seen so far by David Pasternak. Just an absolute beauty, you know, just pulling it away from the tender and just putting it right around him. I mean, it was just a beauty, absolute beauty. And the Bruins just, you know, they put their faith in Tuka Rask to make those saves, and he saw 40 out of 41 shots, which is just a stellar game by any, any measure of the stick. Overall, in this series, the Bruins were more consistent. They were they, they outplayed the Capitals, right? The goaltending by the Bruins was more consistent, and it was just better overall. They didn't make those simple mistakes that other teams made, right? The Bruins forced the issue, really putting pucks on net in four out of the five games. 
and they were able to keep the puck in in the offensive zone, netting themselves extra zone time, which tired out defenders, and which allowed them extra opportunities to score. They also did a great job on the penalty kill, and they did a great job on the they did a good job on the power play, an improved job on the power play. Again, being more creative and and taking those opportunities when they come to you. They can improve though. What we saw a lot from the the Bruins this series was a few too many giveaways, right? A few too many giveaways at bad times. They need to be able to control the puck a little bit better, and they gave up a lot of good chances to the Capitals. But that's where Tuka Rask came in. He was the better goaltender in this series. He came up clutch, and like always, Tuka Rask was absolutely sensational, giving the Bruins a series win and winning it four to one, which was you know definitely a surprise. I mean, that's a solid series win. Let's preview the Bruins versus Islanders series. These two teams are tough teams, right? We got a three versus a four seed. Rask had a really strong first round and has lots of playoff experience. Sorokin while he's relatively inexperienced, had an extremely strong first round as well when he played. Towards the end of the series especially. At the beginning of the series, not so much. But towards the end of the series, he played much better. The Bruins found their stride. Really, Game 5 wasn't great, but Games 2, 3, and 4 were really, really solid. The Islanders also finished the series on a strong note. The Capitals, I, however, I have to say, the Capitals looked like a much more consistent team and overall just a better team than the Penguins did. Right? When we watched the Penguins, it felt like there was lots to be desired. The Capitals were there. They were doing a lot of good stuff. Rask and the Bruins were just a better team. The Bruins this year compared to past years are much deeper. They have, they have a great first line, the perfection line, but their second line with Nick Ritchie, David Krejci, and Taylor Hall is just as good. They have some rough and tumble players, Sean Corrali. Um, they're a much deeper team. The Islanders, while a really physical team, like the Capitals, can prove to be a challenge, right? But the Brewers were able to play through that physicality, and they've been a much more consistent and net team. That's why I'm taking the Bruins in six games this series. I think it could be in five, but I'm going to go in six. Uh, I think the Bruins are the better team overall. I think that they're a hotter team. I think the Islanders are a really good team, and we can't look past them, though. They're, they're a strong team that comes up in big moments, and they have big players with big names, and, and they came out to play against the Penguins, and I think they're going to do the exact same thing against the Bruins, so do not overlook them. Moving on to the Central, we're moving. We're, we're going right through this, folks. The Carolina Hurricanes versus the Nashville Predators. And I'm netting, I'm calling this the overtime series. I don't know how I was supposed to watch these games when they started at 9 and ended at like 11.30. But, I mean, it was just insane. Game 1 was the type of game that I thought was going to happen all series. The Hurricanes outshot the Predators 38-24. to Carolina holding the Nashville, Nashville Predators to 24 shots, giving them a real shot in the offensive zone to put the puck in the net, which they were able to do. The Hurricanes capitalized on on their opportunities with Teravine install and Niederreiter having goals in the first, second, and third period. Taking advantage of second chances and making shots count was this game in a nutshell as the Canes outmatched the Predators in the third uh, in the third period, and they won 5-2. to two. Um, Just a really solid game by the Hurricanes all around. Um, kind of what I was expecting. I, we know the Hurricanes are the better team. I mean, obviously, anything can happen in the NHL playoffs, and that's what happened in this series. Game two was probably the goalie game of the series, maybe. Um, Soros and Nadel Nadelkovic 
combined to save 61 out of 62 shots on goal. That's a lot, folks. That's a really competitive game. The only goal with a goalie in the net, right, obviously because, you know, we're not talking about empty netters here, came in the first on a power play, slammed home by Sebastian Ajo. I mean, it was just, you know, it was a beautiful goal. He played a great series. Um, and Nadelkovic shut the door after that uh, on the Predators. The Predators had seven power play opportunities, but all were all were stymied by the Canes power play kill or Nadelkovic. Props to the Canes in this one. Really coming out strong, putting the game away defensively and in, in net. They played really, really well. Game three was the first of four straight overtime games. The Canes and the Preds traded goals throughout the first three periods of the game, and both were looking for that knockout blow punch to take a lead to really cement this victory. Ajo, Stahl, Trocek, and Pesci scored for the Canes, while Ellis, Forsberg, Granlund, and Johansson put them in for the Preds. It was an extremely competitive game this series with opportunities all around, well-played shots, fast play. The Predators had seven power play opportunities again. However, once again, they were only able to score one of them. The Canes went one for three on the power play, a better percentage, but they both only scored one. In the end, though, it didn't matter because in the overtime, crazy things happen. Teams get sleepy, line change get bad, and Duchesne got behind the Canes' defense, and the 54th shot for the Predators and the 110th shot for the game went past Nadalkovich. I believe it was on his right side. I don't remember. I don't. I think it's his. I think it's his blocker side in double overtime to bring the Canes back within one. Or bring the Preds back within one game of the Predators. 5-4 in the game, 2-1 in the series. This was one of the games. I mean, this was just an incredible game. Both teams back and forth playing their hearts out. Game four was the second OT thriller, second double OT thriller of the series, and it did not disappoint whatsoever. Both goaltenders once again coming up with huge saves throughout the game. Nadelkovic at the end of the third period, came up with two saves that can only be described as absolutely remarkable. They traded goals through the first three periods. And, and by the way, the goal by McGinn in the third period was spectacular. Go check that one out. Throughout the th first five periods of play of hockey, the Canes had 61 shots on goal, while the Predators had 41. The Preds put up 31 blocks throughout the game which is just a remarkable number. But once again, in double overtime, a pass right to the slot, right from behind the net, right into the slot, couldn't put one in, put one home by Nadelkovic, and that was the series once again. I mean, folks, we're talking about spectacular play here. Truly spectacular play. Game five, another tight game. This time with both goalies playing some of their best hockey of the series. A tight game because goaltenders stepped up their play. Both teams each had one goal score through the first three periods as Trenton and Nekas each scored two of their own, including Nekas' incredible wraparound goal, again, that you have to go check out which he put past Saros. This game also needed overtime. And just two minutes in, Stahl, Stahl scored for the – Hurricanes sending this series back to Nashville for game six. Like the previous three games, 
Game six was tight as well. The Canes had 31 shots on goal, while the Pred had. Excuse me. While the Predators had 27 throughout the game. Midway through the second period, Ryan Johansson gave the Predators their first two goal lead of the series, right? Up until this point, folks, the Predators had not had a two goal lead in the series at all. But after a slash on a breakaway, the Canes went on the power play where once again, Sebastian Ajo brought the Canes within one goal on his fourth goal of the series in just six games. Then in the third period, Dougie Hamilton, who hadn't scored all series, scored the tying goal right into the slot. A beautiful goal to tie the series. And finally, in overtime, Ajo, once again, the man of the night, the man of the series, tipped a shot past Soros and went and sent the Canes into the second round. Overall, this series was incredible. Four overtime games, including two that went to double overtime, is a gift that cannot be returned, folks. The Predators were a four seed, but they played this series like they were a one seed. They played very well and were extremely competitive. Guys from all over the ice, Forsberg, Ellis, Sarvas played well. They played a really strong series, but overall, the experience of the Hurricanes, the talent of the Hurricanes, proved to be too much. This was one of the best series that I think in recent memory, folks. And if you haven't seen it, you need to go and watch it now. My player of the series for this one has to be Sebastian Ajo, who had five goals and seven points. And he was absolutely clutch in the moments that he needed to be, especially on the power play and especially in game six. Both teams played very well, and the Predators should be very proud of how they played, and the Hurricanes are going to be dangerous going forward, folks. They played this solid series against a Predators team that was definitely on the rise. Let's move on to the Panthers versus the Lightning, and we're going to have to whip through this one very quick. It was a solid series for Tampa Bay. Game one was determined by goal scoring, and there was a lot of it, folks. The Panthers and the Lightning traded the lead a couple times as the game went on. Florida had a, a wide range of goal scorers, Barkov, Verhage, Huberdow, and Tippett, while Tampa Bay had Coleman and then Kucherov and Point. Kucherov and Point each had two. Kucherov in his first game of the season, by the way, put two in the net. The goal by Tippett, Huberdow was an exceptional player through this series, really unselfish on the goal to Tippett, putting it back to him, giving him a nice assist. And this game was competitive through and through. Both goaltenders struggled in this game. Vasilevsky stopped 35 shots, and Bobrovsky stopped 35 as well. But Tampa Bay was just able to edge out Florida with a late goal. The difference in this game was the power play, folks. Tampa Bay was 3-for-4 in their chances, while Florida was 1-for-3. Game 2, a dominant Tampa Bay win. Stamkos and Palat both scored in their first period, and the Lightning never looked back. Once again, we see Vasilevsky shut the door in the playoffs. Samkos, in his second game back, puts one in the net. Vasilevsky stopping 32 of 33 shots is vintage Vasilevsky from last year and what we're looking for from this series. Game three was an incredible game, folks. Florida led after the first period by two goals from Bennett and Gudas, but in the second period, everything really did fall apart. 
apart. Drieger, new goalie, Bobrovsky was not started, let in five goals on just 22 shots, all of the goals coming in the second period of the game. Bobrovsky came in and was perfect for the rest of the game. And with a Hornquist power play goal, a Wemberg mid-second goal set up the late-game heroics from Gustav Forsling, who put it right into the back of the net, sending the game into overtime. And just six minutes into overtime, folks, one of the prettiest goals you ever see as Vitrano sent the puck ahead to Lomberg, who scored on a breakaway right past Vasilevsky, ending the game and making it 2-1 to one Tampa Bay in the series. Florida once again in this game overwhelmed Vasilevsky with 47 shot attempts compared to Tampa Bay's just 31. This was a trend that we will see in this series. Because in game four, another goaltending disaster for the Panthers happened again. Bobrovsky started this game and led in five goals in just a period and a half. And that was a deficit that the Panthers were not able to overcome throughout the entire game. Like game three, the Panthers outshot the Lightning by a lot. 41 shots on goal compared to the Lightning's measly 26. The Lightning's put up put the puck on net with purpose, though. And that's what really counts. Each shot was difficult to save in their own right. The Lightning were redirecting pucks all night with Gord, Palat, and Kilhorn, all scoring off of redirects right in front of the net. And that tells me that the Panthers, the Predators, the Panthers, excuse me, were not physical enough in front of the net. This isn't to say that the Panthers didn't have their chances, though. With seven power play opportunities and only scoring on two of them, Vasilevsky definitely had a busy night stopping 39 to 41 shots, but he was able to do it and win the game for the Lightning, moving the series to 3-1. to one. Game 5 was more of what we expected from the Panthers, but it came from an unlikely hero by the name of Spencer Knight. After the first shot of the game, the first shot of the game went in past him. He stopped the next 37 shots and shut the door. And Panthers gave him some goal-scoring help with four of their own. And it was an unlikely win, unlikely winner, unlikely hero. But it happened and it worked. Honestly, in my opinion, I think that, you know, the amount of shots that uh, Vasilevsky faced in the previous two games definitely had an effect. Um... He had a lackluster performance scoring, letting in four goals on 38 shots. And we'll hit you right back with the next couple because I actually have to take a break right now because I'm I'm out of time, folks. I'm running through this as quick as possible, but there's just a lot to get through. We'll be right back. We're right back. Game six was complete domination by the Lightning. A shutout win for Vasilevsky made it impossible for the Panthers to win the game as he was simply on his game once again tonight. Four goals for the Lightning were icing on the cake, and they took the series in six games. Overall, the inconsistencies at the goalie position for the Panthers lost them the series, right? Combined with their relative lack of experience, didn't really help them at all. Um, Sam Coast and Kucherov coming back definitely didn't help, um, and they made a huge difference for the Lightning, especially on the power play. Uh the Panthers played well. They were just way outmatched by a much more experienced and an overall better Tampa Bay Lightning team. Uh, Huberdeau had 10 points on the series, which was really, really good, and he had a really, really strong series. But Palat, Kilhorn, Points, Samkos, Kucherov were just, you know, and I could go on, were just too much, and Vasilevsky was a complete wall. Hurricanes versus Lightning preview. Another series. I think this was going to be another good one. The Lightnings were very impressive in round one beating in a, a solid but really experienced Panthers team. 
Uh, the Canes, same thing, but they didn't really beat up on the Predators, although the Predators did play above their skill cap, I would say. While the Hurricanes have a lot of talent, they did leave a lot of stuff to be desired, especially in net, right? In the last six in, – in, in, in the six games that they played, it really never felt like they were in control, especially in the last four, which were won in overtime. A Lightning team, which is inexperienced – It just it, it was just too much, uh, and and with Stamkos and Kucherov back, I think that it's going to be a little bit too much from Nedeljkovic given how he played in the series. The Canes gave up way too many power play opportunities against the Predators, and the Lightning are a solid power play team. Another big point is goaltending, and I think that's going to be the difference in the series. Vasilevsky was incredible when he needed to be. Nedeljkovic was very very solid but he wasn't to the same level, and that's why I'm going to take the Lightning in six or seven games. Overall, I think I'm going to go with six games. Um, I just think that the Lightning are a little bit too much, and I think they're going to bring it home uh, and advance to the to the semifinals. Woo! Moving on to the West, folks. The Colorado Avalanche versus the St. Louis Blues. There's not much to say except this was an absolute dominating performance right now uh, by the Colorado Avalanche. Per Precisely what I predicted, wasn't it, folks? Give me some credit on that one. The Colorado Avalanche dominated through the series, winning it 4-0 in a sweep. Uh, game one was what we expected, one-sided. The Avalanche had 50 shots on goal, while the Blues only had 23. Bennington played well, but Nathan Bakkenen was just too much. Also, Landeskog is very, very good. They both scored, and it was just too much. Game two was more competitive. Both teams had 35 shots. However, the Avalanche put more past Bennington, who didn't really have a great game. Uh, you know, he they, they end up scoring two goals on him. They also had two empty net goals. Uh, excuse me, sorry. They put four past him and add on those two empty net goals. McKinnon had a hat trick, scoring once in the first and twice in the third as the Avalanche take game two, um, giving the Avs a 6-3 win over the Blues uh, also, a dirty hit by Nazem Kadri on Justin Falk gave him an eight-game suspension, which we have to, you know, include uh, when they face their next opponents. Um, but right now, in this series, it didn't make a difference. Game three once again was competitive, but the Avs found the back of the net when it counted. The Avalanche scored five goals on twenty-six shots, while the Blues scored once on thirty-two. Grubauer, a really, really solid game between the pipes, obviously stopping thirty-one of thirty-two. And the only one he let up was a giveaway in the defensive zone. So Bennington, you know, sour game for him, got really outplayed by Grubauer and really cost his team the game. I mean, you're laying five goals on 32 shots, five goals on 26 shots. That's really, really, really bad numbers. Game four, what's more to expect? Complete domination by the Avalanche, scoring five times on 32 shots. The Blues were able to put one. We're able to put two shots past Grubauer this time and only 20 shot attempts. The Avalanche were a perfect three for three on the power play. With Sod McKinnon and Nishkushkin scoring on those. While the Avalanche had two goals in empty net, the Avalanche were complete control of the game throughout. The, and they were just in complete control, folks. They were a much better team. We said this from the beginning. Much more talented, much more depth, and really absolutely no complaints in this one. Um, you know what you were expecting with Avalanche. They lived up to the hype. It was a great series. They proved themselves. 
They had way too much talent. Grubauer outplayed Bennington throughout the entire series. The Avalanche were much more efficient on the power play. Landeskog and McKinnon proved themselves in the playoffs, and they were really just a force to be reckoned with. Moving on briskly, the Las Vegas Golden Knights versus the Minnesota Wild, a 2-3 series, and the Vegas Knights took it in Game 7, 4-3, the only two seed to advance in the playoffs. A seven-game series thriller, the only one that we've had in the first round so far. Game one, a goalkeeper's dream. No goals were scored in regulation. Both teams had great chances, but Marc-Andre Fleury and Cam Talbot put on a show for those in Vegas, both coming up with incredible save after incredible save. In overtime, Joel Erickson Eck, remember this name, folks, because he's a big part of this series, put one past Flurry and won the game for the Wild. The only goal of 72 shots. Talbot ended the game with 42 shots, 42 saves on 42 shots, while Flurry had 29 on 30. In game two, the Lightning, or sorry, the Knights finally cracked the code on Talbot, right? Finally, finally cracked the code on Cam Talbot. It did take a tier, a period, but a goal and a goal by Tumba for the Wild. The Knights then opened up the scoring in the second period with Marceau and Tuck. And then one more late in the third period by Tuck again to give the Lightning to give the Knights, excuse me, a 3-1 win over the Wild. The Wild with 35 shots were only able to score one time, while the Knights on 28 shots were able to score thrice, including once in the power play. There's not much you can say about this one, folks. It was just the Knights being the Knights, Mark Andre Fleury being Mark Andre Fleury. Game three, early on, it looked as if the Wild were going to run away with this one as they scored twice in the first period with Hartman and Eriksonek scoring while Talbot kept the back of the net clean. But the Knights came storming back in the second period with three goals of their own, Stone, Brown, and then Smith. And then in the third period, Carlson put another one past Talbot to put the game out of reach for the Knights for the Wild, and the Knights ended up winning it 5-2. to two. The Knights really outplayed the Wild in this game offensively. They didn't really in the in the previous two games. Um, I would say that the Wild probably outplayed them offensively. But this game, they had 40 shots on goal while the Wild only had 16. Um, they also combined for 0-7 on the power play during this game, which is just terrible numbers. Um, but the power play kill was good, at least for both other teams. Game four was the kind of game that Knights fans had been dreaming of all series long. The Knights had only 18 shots on goal, but they made all of them count, scoring four goals over the course of the game on Talbot. The Wild, on 35 shots, were unable to put any past Marc-Andre Fleury in the second shutout of the series in just four games played by either team, which is just remarkable. The Wild continued their cold streak on the power play going 0 for 3 in this game. Game 5 was another game that the Knights wanted on paper. They outshot the Wild 40 to 14 and had two power plays scoring on one of them. And the Wild had none. However, the Wild made those 14 shots count. 14 shots, folks. Scoring on four of them. 
All three non-empty net goals scored or occurred in the first period. Kaprizov, Perezi, and Greenway. While Stone and Martinez were able to score for the Knights, it wasn't an over. It wasn't enough to overcome those goals. And the Wild, you know, won the game. <laughs> game six, another tight game. Both teams struggled to get the puck on net for a total of forty-seven shots during the game. Both goaltenders were flawless through the first two periods of play, stopping 27 combined shots. However, the third period, the Wild were finally able to break through, scoring three goals, Hartman, Fiala, and Burstad. And this was the third shutout of the game, the second for Cam Talbot. And the Wild were also able to score in the power play, sending the series back to Vegas for Game 7. But did you have any doubt, folks, at the Vegas Golden Knights? We're going to put this one weren't going to pull this one out. It was not a tight game. The Vegas Knights were just too much. The Golden Knights were just too much. They scored six throughout the game and had a hat trick for Jan Mark with Haig, Pacioretty, and White Cloud rounding out the other goals. The Wilds' two goals proved not to be enough, and they were sent home packing as Talbot could only stop 28 out of 30 shots on goal, 34 shots on goal. Overall, a really, really good series that proved the Wild were definitely real and that Kirill Kaprizov is one of the premier talents in the NHL and likely to be next season. Talbot played a great, great series. A good series, had two shutouts um, and not really something that you, you know, you, I mean, can you ask for more? The talent of this series was just too much for the Knights, Stone, Marcia, so Patch already, uh, and more, but most of all, Fleury, who had an amazing series uh, the concerns for the Knights going forward is that you're up 3-1 to one and you gave two games up to a team that's not really super offensive. Slightly inconsistent and let the Wild back in. Overall, let's look at the Colorado Avalanche versus the Vegas Golden Knights. This series is going to be very, very good, folks. The only 1-2 matchup that we're going to see in the playoffs this year with incredible talent on both sides of the puck. The Avalanche swept the Blues while the Knights went Game 7 with the Wild. So two opposite ends of the spectrum. Both teams have great capabilities. The biggest question of the series will be, can Flurry and the Golden Knights stop McKinnon, Landeskog, and the offensive power of the Avalanche? Based on the way they played in the series, it's actually really difficult to tell. I'm not super sure who I want in this series because I, I look at the Avalanche, I look at how much they scored, but I look at who they did it against. The Wild definitely overplayed themselves in the series. They definitely played better, but... That isn't to say that the Vegas Knights shouldn't have won this series in five or six games. Either way, I think this series is probably going to go seven games. And if it does, I'm going to take the Knights in seven games. They're more experienced. I think that they're a little bit more well-rounded team. And I think that goaltending wins series in the playoffs. I don't think Grubauer is as good as Marc-Andre Fleury, at least not in the historically he hasn't been. However, honestly, the Avalanche could win this series in five, and I wouldn't be surprised. So we'll have to see what happens night one. Moving on to the final series, we're going to skip the Maple Leafs versus the Canadiens because that series is still going on because Canada can't figure out how to NHL properly. The Oilers versus – sorry, I'm just laughing because I wrote this. The Oilers versus the Winnipeg Jets. The Jets killed the Oilers. Connor McDavid is a bum. <laughs> I was very, very wrong. Very, this was the most wrong I think I've ever been on the podcast so far, ever, folks. 
It has become clear to me that a team with two star players, a team that is reliant on those players, cannot succeed in the postseason. The Oilers once again have proved that again, lesser talk players are playing absolutely lights out hockey, getting shut out in the series by the Jets is one of the pin- is the pinnacle of this idea. Game one, one name for you folks, Connor Hellebuck. Absolute sensational, stopping 32 of 33 shots against him. And that's not easy when you got Connor McDavid, the NFL points leader, coming against you, and Dratzel also had 83 points in the season coming at you as well. It was relatively quiet, but it was an extremely solid win as the Jets scored four times in just 22 shots. Game two was the goalie duel of the playoffs thus far. Both goaltenders, actually, no, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna give that to the to the to the overtime game where both goaltenders allowed no goals until overtime. I don't I don't know which one that was. Sorry. Game two was definitely a goaltender duo, though. Both goaltenders, Mike Smith and Connor Allenbuck, played very, very well in regular. Oh, maybe this was this game. Maybe it is the goaltender duo of the playoffs. They both didn't allow goal through regulation. It took overtime and a great show by Paul Stasny to give the Jets a 1-0 win. So if you're keeping track, the Oilers have scored once in two games, and the Jets have scored five times. The Oilers went scoreless on 38 shots, and the Jets scored just once on 36. But overall, a good, good goalie, good goaltending game for both teams. Game three looked like the game. The series we had expected from the beginning with the Oilers going up 4-1 to midway through the third period with Dratzel opening up the scoring with two goals of his own. So this is what we were expecting. Game two, you're like, oh, well, maybe this is what we were – this is what, you know, maybe just took them some time to get going. Uh-oh. In the third period, everybody fell apart. Mike Smith and the Oilers fell apart, allowing a – allowing three goals in the last 10 minutes of play to send it to overtime. Like, in overtime, Nikolaj Ellers put the game winner in the back of the net, capping off an incredible comeback for the Jets, scoring on all, scoring all four of the final goals of the game to really steal game three away from the Oilers. This is the best comeback, one of the best comeback wins of the season, of the playoffs, and the Jets with less than 11, 11 shots less than the Oilers outscored them again. And take game three in overtime. Game four, a nail-biter. With the Jets and the Oilers trading the league back and forth throughout the game. Scheifel, then McDavid's first goal of the series. And at the end of regulation, it was 3-3. Three to three. In double overtime, on a breakaway, Connor put one final shot past Smith for the game. And the series winner to send the Jets on in the playoffs and the Oilers packing home. This series was the biggest surprise of the playoffs thus far, given how the Jets finished the season uh, and really were, I believe, to be outmatched by the incredible talent that is present on the Oilers team. Additionally, the scoring for the Oilers was essentially non-existent for the first two games of the series. And in the playoffs, it's the better goaltender who's going to win you the game. And you know what? That was Connor Hellebuck. What a series. The Oilers are a complete joke. Bye-bye! Um, we'll be back with a, a review of the, the Canadians Maple Leaf series, but I had to get this out before the Bruins play the Islanders tonight. Go Bees. I got a lot to do, folks. Uh, the UCL finals was today, by the way. Congrats to my team, Chelsea, for raising the trophy, baby. Champions of Europe. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you in another one of the episodes of The Master Plan. The game.
one shot, who would you rather have taking it, Iggy or Curry? Of everyone on Golden State, open shot, fate of the universe on the line, or the Martians have the death beam pointed at Earth, you better hit it. I want Iguodala.